Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Well, hello, church. Hello to everybody in the room. Hello to everybody watching online. We are super excited that you're here. Uh, my name is Matt. I get to be one of the pastors here. If we have not met yet, um, welcome to Venice Church, man. If you're looking for a church home, uh, we'd love for that to be it or this to be that. And, and again, I just remind you, uh, we got people here, so we're not perfect. Um, so if, you, if you're looking for a perfect church, it doesn't exist, um, but we exist to inspire people to live in love like Jesus, and everything we do is with the hopes that when you walk away from a worship gathering or a community group or one of our classes or student ministry or your kids, whatever, that we are inspired to live in love like Jesus because in him and through him, life and hope is found. And so we'd love to get to know you. If, if you're looking for a way to get to, to know us and get more plugged in, there's a tool that we have. It's an app. This is in our culture. That's a great way for you to kind of get connected. You'll see a respond tab on our app. We'd love to hear from you. There also will be some actual real physical people that you can have a conversation with at the information bar as you go out. Again, thank you for being here. For those of you who call this church home, thank you for the way that you financially sow into the ministry of our church. If you feel led to God, by God to worship in that way, there's some boxes in the back of the room where you can hit that QR code and, and give digitally. And we are in part 104 of our series, The Letter. Um, it kind of feels like that at this point. I think it's only part 10. But if you have missed um, or worshiped with us for the last several weeks, there, several years ago, I felt like God put on my heart that we were supposed to do a series through Romans. And I don't know if I'm... I'm debating in my spirit whether or not I ran from that in disobedience or God just led me in another direction. We're going to go with B just for my own self-esteem. Uh, but finally, the Lord just would not let me get away from it. I, he just kept drawing me back to this book that we know as Romans. It's a letter. It's not a book. It's a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a church that he did not plant. It was a church that he was familiar with, that he was impressed by. It was a church that was more than likely birthed out of the day of Pentecost when there were people from Rome that were there on the day that Peter stepped out, had received the Holy Spirit, and he preached the gospel message. And this little movement of just maybe 100 or so people boomed into over 3,000 people. And that message of Jesus went into all the world as those people traveled back from Jerusalem into these little towns and villages where they went. And God's doing this amazing thing in Rome because when God starts moving, it changes things. And he puts pen to paper, not sure, Paul, if he's going to ever make it to see these people. And so far, we've kind of journeyed through chapters 1 through 11. And look at me. I know I've left a lot of meat on the table. Because to preach through this book and hit every single thing in it, we'd be here for like four years trying to walk through this thing. And we're all too ADD for me to preach on it that long. And so at some point, we're going to circle back and we'll, we'll pick up with some of the things that maybe we left on the table through these chapters. But chapter 12 is a, is a bit of a turning point in this. In chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, as he concludes this book, are a little bit different tone than we've seen in the first 11 chapters. And in case you missed it, I will sum up the first 11 chapters in Romans with two verses from Ephesians. I'm serious, because these verses in Ephesians, I think, best 
sum up what Paul has tried to say in Romans 1 through 11, where he says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. To me, just those handful of sentences sum up everything that Paul's been trying to say in really, really minute, intricate detail. From 1 through 11, it's been trying to help them make sure that they understand the true depth, beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Romans 1 through 11 are saying, look, there, there is a problem in humanity, and that problem is called sin. And that sin is the result of an exchange that humanity made when we decided that we could do what we wanted instead of what God desired. And that exchange brought sin into the world, and it has infected and affected every single part of who we are, from nature to marriage to your relationship, like everything. Y'all with me? Say amen. It has hit Everything. And the thing is, you can't do anything about it. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough of the right things. You can't go to church enough. It, and in 9, 10, and 11, he was trying to help the nation of Israel see your ancestry and your accomplishments do not give you access to God. So in our culture, I said it doesn't matter if your granddaddy was a Pentecostal preacher and spoke in tongues every single week. And I just made all the Baptists in the room uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if you got 17 King James Bibles in your house. It doesn't matter if, if you're really kind to everybody you meet. All those things are awesome. They're great. But look at me. That is not what makes you right with God. And we, we brought back a word that the church has often abandoned called righteousness. And I'm sorry that the self-righteousness of church folk have ruined that word for you. But it's a beautiful word when you really know what it means. It means because of the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus, we have the opportunity now to be put back into right standing with God. The one who created you and formed you, the one who your heart longs for, the one who when you don't know him, your life is empty. It doesn't matter how much money you got, how successful you are, how many degrees are on your wall, how good you are at hobbies, none of that stuff matters that you are made righteous, you are, made, you are put back in right standing with God when you receive the free gift of God's grace and in faith believe in what Jesus has done on the cross. And as we looked at last week, when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that and only that puts you in back right standing with the one who made you and created you. That's it. But now Paul begins to answer that infamous question, now what? Now that I have unpacked for you over 11 chapters, and Paul didn't know he was writing chapters. Y'all know Paul didn't sit down and put Romans chapter one. Those were added later for our reference and for our ability to study. Like he's just pinning a letter or maybe he was talking to a scribe as that person was writing it down as he was talking to them. He didn't put all these chapters and numbers and all that kind of stuff in, but you see a very significant shift in Romans chapter 12. Of Paul's now going to say, okay, now what? Now that you, you properly understand the gospel, this is what should happen. This is what should flow out of that understanding. Because so much of Romans has shaped what we know of and call doctrine. And I know that's another super churchy word, but doctrine is basically, 
in its simplest form, like these, these, these things that we believe. But if doctrinal understanding, look at me, if doctrinal understanding doesn't translate into practical application, it doesn't matter. Because some of us are so biblically smart at times, we're no earthly good. And one should lead to the other. But we got a lot of head knowledge. That's why people say, well, he knows all the Bible. So does the devil. He knows every word. Go watch that interaction between him and Jesus in the wilderness. The devil knows the Bible really good. I'll let that marinate for just a second because I thought it was good. <laughs> but, but now what? Like not, now, because here's the thing. When you understand it properly, it should change you drastically. When, when, you, when you understand it, the gospel, when you understand it properly, it should change you drastically. I don't think you can understand it properly and it not change you drastically. In Romans 12 through 16, or, or Paul saying, okay, now that you know the gospel, this is, this is how it should change you. This is how your life should look, be, feel different than it did before. And Romans chapter 12, for me, is so much fun for me to preach. But again, when I look at it, I'm thinking I could preach 65 messages just from this chapter alone because there's so much good in it. But Romans chapter 12 has a very special place in my heart because Romans 12 was one I was forced to, to read and learn when I was in high school, and it really sparked something in me for God's word. Y'all know I love Romans 8, but Romans 12 is like this anchor point in my life. Because when I was maybe 17 years old, my youth pastor at the time, his name's Jeff Chapman, he, he, he spent time on Wednesday nights where we would go to youth reading this chapter and, and, and pushing us into it and, and even asking us to memorize it. And I, in high school, was like a lot of high school people. Like, I didn't want to go to youth, but I lived in a house where you didn't have the choice. I hear sometimes, well, he didn't want to go. Why does he have a choice? Went from preaching to meddling all of a sudden. <laughs> I remember telling my parents, like, like I don't want to go to church tonight. Who, thought, who said it was up to you? I want to stay home. Well, this is our house, and we just let you live here, so get your butt in the car. And you know what I said? I looked at them and said, yes, sir. <laughs> Anybody else thankful for now what somebody made you do then? <laughs> Anybody? Somebody, you're grateful now for something somebody made you do then because they knew you enough and knew better than you did. And even though you didn't want to do it, they knew at 17 there was going to be things you needed at almost 44. And so I'm going to make you do it now, even though you don't want you because I love you enough to kick you in the rear end and say, you going. There should be a lot more people at students tonight, Preston, just because I said that right there. <laughs> Thankful for our youth ministry team that's doing that. Because yeah, I was like, well, I just want to play dodgeball. Well, dodgeball don't keep you from hell. <laughs> dodgeball ain't going to necessarily help you down the road in certain things. So we're going to spend some time studying the Bible even though you don't want to. 
And now, I was 17 then and 44 now, and I remember that, therefore, brothers and sisters, in v- I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In the moment, I didn't want it, but I praise God that now I have it. Because it's, it's an anchor point in my spiritual journey, and it's a powerful passage. And, and I don't know why he chose that verse, but those are verses that, I don't know, maybe it's just because it's been written on my heart that I come back to in those moments in my faith when I need to lean in and press in and keep moving forward. Because Paul is saying, in light of the gospel... This is now what you do. That you, that you now, in response to what Jesus has done in you and for you, this is what it looks like to now live in and for him. Because when you truly, properly know the gospel, it changes you drastically. And on the other side of salvation, look at me, it's more than just about affection for Jesus. It's about application of truth. I hear people say, well, I just love Jesus. Jesus is not a teddy bear you got for your birthday. That's how sometimes we talk about him. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is the authority in your life. He is the intimate one who you live for, from, with. Like, he is everything. That's why Paul says now, in the light of your understanding of the gospel and all that it is, that is not based on your merit. It is driven by his mercy. What, you sh- what, I, what I think you should do now is offer yourselves, your entire selves, as a living sacrifice. And y'all, for those readers, especially those Jewish readers, or even the non-Jewish readers, because even if you didn't grow up in the Jewish faith, sacrifices to even pagan gods was common. And to hear the word sacrifice, it was bloody, brutal, and final. And he says, offer yourselves, your living selves, as a living sacrifice to God. That means offer all of who we are, top to bottom, head to toe, beginning to end, every single piece of who we are, we now give back to him in response to what he's done for us. That we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And that word that's in that verse that says proper, or maybe in some of your translations, is spiritual act of worship, the Greek word there is literally the word we, where we get the word logical. That Paul is saying, like, the the logical response, the response that makes most sense if you truly understand this, is you live a life where every single bit of you is an offering to God in worship. Isn't it funny what we define as worship? When I say worship, you think music. You think drums. You think singing. You think, but no, anything that acknowledges God for who he is and what he has done is worship, which means you worship in the drive-through You worship in the office chair. You worship in the desk in your classroom. You worship when you're walking down the street in your neighborhood. That any and everything is an expression of gratitude to God for who he is and what he has done. And Paul's saying that your natural, logical response, once you come to understand everything that I've just said, is you offer all yourselves. You're an offering to him. 
And then he says, as a part of that, you have to understand that that means you're no longer going to conform to the pattern of this world. Because there's a way that culture will go that is contrary to what it means to follow Jesus. I don't know if you knew that or not. That culture will go contrary to what Jesus said and his word says is proper and good. But he says, don't conform to the pattern. And I don't know if you've felt this by now, but you live in a world that wants to push you into a pattern. There's a culture that wants you to adapt to the way they think, what they value. And we live in a time right now where it's easier than ever to be pushed into that pattern, isn't it? Because it's always in front of us. When we, some of us were growing up, man, we could escape it. Our kids now, which is another reason why your kids need to be in vintage kids and vintage students, is because they are constantly bombarded with things that are drawing them to the pattern of this world. When they pick up that phone and, and they start scrolling through Instagram and, and, and Facebook and TikTok or whatever that mess is and all that other stuff. I know what it is. I'm just trying to be funny. Don't make fun of me. You know, there is more than anything for us to consume that wishes to conform us to a pattern contrary to the word of God. He says, don't conform. But you notice what he says? That the way we avoid being pushed into the pattern, he doesn't say go to church. That's great, we need to do that. He doesn't even say read your Bible. That's great, we need to do that. He says, be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. That if you're going to change the way you live, you're going to have to let God change the way you think. Because your life will always go in the direction of your mind. Testify somebody. Which is why it's so important what you're letting your heart, your mind consume. That's why when we started 2022, we did this thing called releasing the word. Because we wanted you if, you, if you are not gonna conform to the world, you have to consume God's word. Because it'll transform the way that it will renew your mind, change the way that you think. That so much of what's wrong in our culture is a broken, twisted way of thinking that has to be calibrated only by the word of God. And some of us are wondering, like, like, I've heard Pastor Matt say that. I've heard that say, why, why can I not? Con-? You know, uh, scripture says, take thought every captive. Take, take every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ. And you're wanting your mind to change when you have yet to adjust what you're consuming. Oh, it's just a Netflix show, really? Oh, it's just a podcast, Really? You have no idea the way the enemy is leveraging the thing you're choosing to consume. It's real in church today. <laughs> it says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you're gonna, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And one of the first things he instructs us to change the way that we think about is ourselves. Look at verse three. Paul says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. 
For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If, it is, if your gift is to prophesy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. And if it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, one of the first things that will happen as you live in response to the gospel is it's going to change the way you think, but it's also going to change the way you think about you. He says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Don't tell me the Bible's not relevant in our culture. And you know the old saying, he's not saying think less of yourself. He's thinking, saying think of yourself less. Like it's not about you. And we live in a culture that's even made the gospel all about us. That it's become me-centered instead of Jesus-centered. He's saying, no, like you need to change the way that you think about yourself. And one of the first things you're going to find out when you think about yourself is you're going to realize you need other people. And he starts talking about, no, you're a part of something bigger than yourself. That we're a part of this thing called the body of Christ. And in case you wanted to misunderstand what I said last week or maybe what I said in this sermon, getting, going to church does not get you into heaven, but that does not mean you don't need to be a part of the church. <laughs> don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't twist the words. Say, oh, Matt said we don't need to go to church to go to heaven. You don't need to church to go to heaven but you need the church for so many other reasons. And I know it's not perfect, and I know some of you have been burned by it. I know so many of you have been let down, but don't give up on it, because there's two things that all the scripture makes clear. You were built to belong, and you were created to contribute to the body of Christ. Like, you can't avoid it. <laughs> there's something... There's something about being part of the body that helps us grow in our faith. There, there are things that we can only be taught through community that we cannot be taught any other place. And some of us, the very reason why you need to be at church is the reason why you want to run from it. Because God wants to teach you grace. He wants to teach you patience. He wants to teach you some of the things that only being around people can teach you. Come on, somebody. That's why marriage is more than about making us happy. It's making us holy. We got some self-controlled men in the room today. They're like, hey. There's, but, am, do you understand what I'm saying? There's things that in community that we can only, that can only be tested and tried and formed in that space, he said, you're, you're made to belong to the body. And even though there are times when that, you bump up against things that are difficult and challenging and frustrating and disappointing and discouraging, that there's things in the context of community that God is trying to teach us that are necessary as we grow up in this salvation we've received from Jesus Christ by his mercy and grace. And he says that you were created to contribute, that there's something that God has put in you for his glory and for his kingdom and for the betterment of his church, something he's formed in you that he wants to use not to make you wealthy, not to make you famous, but to build his kingdom. Not, and not just to make the world a better place. I, love, I know that's a great saying that we have, but no, there's something like eternity in, in mind 
that God, it's something eternal that God wants to do in and through you to help people come to know him. He says, don't think about yourself more highly than you ought because if you start to think of yourself more highly than you should, you'll start to think you don't need the things that have been designed to come around you to help you walk forward in this faith you found in him. Because see, most of us step out of those things when we convince ourselves that we don't need them. He says, nah, for the grace given me, I say, keep these things in mind. And then... He starts the next verse, verse 9, with the word that has lost almost all meaning in our culture. He says, love. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath where it's written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you're going to reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He's saying, okay, now that you've heard the gospel, now that you really understand the weight and power and beauty of what Jesus has done for you, not out of your own merit, but because of his mercy, all for yourselves is a living sacrifice. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Change the way that you think. Remember you belong to the body, that you were created to contribute, and remember that you love in a way that looks different than people who don't know Jesus. He says, love must be sincere. That word sincere, the Greek word that's there, literally means without hypocrisy. Love without hypocrisy. That means we don't get to say one thing and let our actions demonstrate another. That we love in a way that not just says we, says we love people, but actually demonstrates we love people. It is without hypocrisy. But isn't it interesting that just a few words after love, he says hate. Love with sincerity, but don't forget, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. That word cling to what is good literally means like like be glued to it. It's the same word used when we're talking about a husband and wife like coming together, like cleaving to one another. It's like you're you're so connected, you're so glued to what is good that you let nothing separate it from you. In other words, even in love, we can't separate ourselves from what God's word says is good. So that means sometimes we have to point out things that God says are not good in the lives of people that we love. Because there is, I'll say it again, there is nothing loving about condoning, co-signing on what Scripture condemns. He says, love one another. And then he says so many words that if our culture would live out, it'd change everything. Honor one another above yourselves. 
he'd say something similar in Philippians. He'd say, not looking just to your interests, but the interests of other people. He says, never be lacking in your spiritual fervor. Like, like keep that passion, that excitement. And you know what? There's going to be people that when you live this way around you, they're going to be in a bad place when they mourn, mourn with them. Don't say, why are you mourning? You're supposed to be a Christian. You're supposed to be sad. Because that's stupid to say to somebody. He says, when they grieve, you grieve. And when they rejoice, you rejoice with them. I found there's something weird in our culture sometimes. It's like sometimes in our culture, we don't know how to celebrate the success of other people. As, we, can, we, can we erase that? Can we be the church that stops that, at least in our county? That when other people are, are, are experiencing some measure of health and success, can we just learn to celebrate them no matter what season you're in? Maybe it's because, you know what, we're so frustrated with our own lives that we feel like we can't celebrate the success of other people. Remind me to preach that sermon sometime because that's a whole other There's like 57 sermons in that verse. It says, no, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And in verse 21, don't be overcome by evil. For Paul to say that to me says that we're going to be overwhelmed. That in our attempt at a response to the gospel, we, we try to live out this faith that there's going to be things that come at us that seek to overcome and squelch what we're trying to do in and through and for the Lord. And when I read those verses, it feels like, okay, Paul, you should have just stopped at the end of chapter 12, man, because that seems like enough. Anybody else feel like that? Like if you, just, if you just read that chapter every day and said, all right, Lord, in view of your mercy, I'm gonna live as a living sacrifice, I'm gonna do all these things. Anybody else just already feel overwhelmed with that at times? Like that seems really, really difficult. Anybody else feel a little bit of conviction over how, how you've missed the mark in so many areas of that? It's like love without hypocrisy. Oh man, don't be conformed to the, oh man. Like there's so many things. Like how am I ever gonna do this? And for me, the key that unlocks the door is what he said in verse one. Because see here, here's what I've learned about walking with God. Motivation matters. And if you operate from the wrong why, you will never be consistent. Am I making sense? Like, I, there's one thing that I, that I see woven throughout Scripture that, that I titled this message, Motivated by Mercy. Because everything that Paul is going to say in chapters 12 through 16 has to be filtered through what he said in chapter one, or verse 1 of chapter 12. Because notice what he says. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Like that's a quick little like transitional phrase that we could so skip over. We, we, we don't see how powerful it is. He says, therefore, in other words, in, in light of everything that I've just written, I, he doesn't even say I command you. He says, I urge you. With everything in me, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, this is how you should respond. There's a, I think we could probably even translate that with God's mercy in constant view, this is how you live your life. And that's the, that's the motivation behind why we do what we do that I think so often we forget that everything that we do for God is in response to God. 
See, you can quickly slip into this. Well, because I did, then he will. And that's wrong. It's because he did, I will. It's not, you don't do any of this to motivate God to somehow do something because you can't ever convince God to do something his will and way isn't going to do. It's not about, see, that's the, that's the difference between the beauty of our faith and so many others. It's not, I, I did, so he will. It's not this transactional relationship. It's this covenant relationship. Because he did, I will. That my obedience is not out of obligation. It's out of response to what he's already done. Am I making sense? It's not like we're, but see, I think what happens sometimes is, is we know most of this, but then somewhere along the way it gets twisted up in our minds. Like we, we know, God, there's nothing, there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. We know that. And even I think when we get to this place where we know like that sustaining our salvation isn't about jumping through hoops and, and doing all the right things. And all week I've worried that I'm not gonna articulate what I'm about to try the right way. But has anybody ever got this point where where you feel like I need to do the right things because I need to convince God that what he did for me was worth it. Anybody ever just feel that? Like you, you walk through Easter and you, and you go through Good Friday and you think about all that he went through and all the beatings he took and the death he died and all the stuff he went through. And it's like, God, I wanna live in such a way where I just don't wanna mess up so much that you don't think I was worth it. And I feel like this week God remind me, now you don't ever have to worry about me thinking that. That what you do for me should never be from a place where you feel like you have to validate what I did for you. Does that make sense to anybody in the room? It's like God looked at me and says, your obedience, I don't need compensation for the cross. That's not what this is about. That, that what you do is evidence of grace, but it's not an attempt to validate it. So I wanna give somebody the permission in the room to stop doing these things for God in hopes that somehow you will convince him that you are worth it because he's already decided that you were. He's already decided you were. I think about Romans five, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And anything you ever sacrifice for him can, can never be enough to make up for what was sacrificed by him. So you don't have to. No, he doesn't say, hey, now that you've seen what Jesus has done for you, don't act stupid, make it worth it. You don't serve a God that's dangling your debt over your head saying, hey, 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 remember what I did, you better act right. Remember what I did, you better act right. No. Everything about like what Jesus taught, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, if you love me, you will obey my teaching. That everything is driven out of love for him and to him because of what he has done. It's in response to what he's done for us. That God, God doesn't need to be compensated for the cross. That's not what he's looking for. And there's so many reasons why we should submit to God because he is God and he's worthy and all those things and he's sovereign, all that stuff. 
But his invitation is, what do you, what, what do you want? God, what do you want? And you know what God says? I want you to love me. I want you to love me. And everything you sacrifice for me, I want it to be because you love me. Not because you feel like obligated to me. I want you to love me. That's why Paul says, I urge you. Why? In view of his mercy. And maybe there's some people in the room somewhere along the way, you lost sight of his mercy. And you've been operating from a different view. And you're wondering why you can't get it right and why it's inconsistent. Maybe it's because somewhere along the way, you started operating out of the wrong why. And today that needs to shift back. Colossians chapter two. Verse 13, it says, And when you were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, and he forgave us all our trespasses. I love verse 14. For he erased, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and taking it away by nailing it to the cross. You bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I don't know. I don't know how you walked in the room. I don't know what's been the motivating factor behind your obedience to Christ. I don't know if you've even accepted him yet. But he has made it clear all throughout his word that his hope is the way that we live on the other side of salvation is motivated by mercy. That in in view of his mercy, with his mercy in full view, I will, you will, we will offer our bodies, offer everything we have as a living sacrifice to him. And maybe there's some people in the room or watching online somewhere along the way, it became about something. God never invited you to wallow in guilt, but to walk in gratitude. And maybe today that just needs to shift. Maybe for the first time or maybe shift back. And today you walk out of here motivated by mercy. With mercy in full view, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and appropriate act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, and only then, will you be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. God, I pray that today something shifts in our spirit. That God, you are never looking for us to operate out of obligation. You want us to walk in gratitude and live in obedience to you. Yeah, you are supreme. You are the ultimate authority. But God, you've always invited us into that intimate relationship, a love relationship, authentic and pure. And God, I pray that we never lose sight of what you've done for us. Because when we stand at those crossroads to either be conformed to the pattern of the world or to be transformed by the renewing in your mind, so much of way, the way that will go is dependent on what we remember in that moment, that we operate out of obedient love for you and who you are and what you've done for us. And God, help us from this day forward to keep your mercy in view and offer ourselves as a living sacrifice for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
hey, thank you for worshiping with us today. If God's doing anything in your life, we wanna hear about it. Jump on the app, hit that respond tab, let us know. We love you guys. Thank you for worshiping with us. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Give God some glory as you head out today. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.